Kia ora, I'm Alex Ashton and this is The Detail. Today I talk to TVNZ's Jahan Casanada about a major change to our refugee policy. It allowed fear to dictate how we approached a key area of policy and that was wrong. Controversial refugee policy described as racist, abhorrent and discriminatory has been dumped by the government. The family link rule prevented New Zealand from meeting its own refugee targets while making it tough for African and Middle Eastern refugees to come here. And tough is a bit of an understatement. The family link policy stopped African and Middle Eastern refugees from settling in New Zealand unless they already had family living here. Sunday reporter Jahan Casanada broke the story and has today's developments. A win for refugees as the government dumps a policy described as racist. It has not been serving New Zealand's interests well uh, and this government has decided that it needed to go. I'd been covering the Christchurch shootings and I was talking to Guled Meyer who had been quite outspoken in the weeks after the shootings about institutional racism. And he said, did you know that New Zealand actually has a Muslim ban akin to Donald Trump's? And I was incredulous and cynical and sceptical about that. And remarkably, when I looked at the documentation that community groups had got using the Official Information Act, what I found was more or less we did. In 2009, the national government decided to create an extra rule for refugees from Africa and the Middle East. Those refugees would only be allowed to come to New Zealand if they had family already living here. Now that requirement didn't apply to refugees coming from other parts of the world. In the documentation, that's been obtained under the Official Information Act, the reasons for that policy are redacted. We have very little detail about why National chose to put extra restrictions on refugees coming from Africa and the Middle East. If they are legitimate security concerns, surely the government would feel comfortable discussing them. They would have evidence to support them. Instead, page after page is deliberately blacked out. But we do know from those documents that, quote, broad security concerns were part of their rationale. So the context was just the previous year in 2008, a Somali woman called Asha Abdeel had tried to hijack an Air New Zealand flight. A woman accused of hijacking an Air New Zealand plane has been committed for trial. Asha Abdili will face six charges during the trial next year, including hijacking. And we know that there was, as there still is now, I guess, sentiment in the community that people from Africa, people from the Middle East are potential terrorists, they're dangerous, they pose a threat to our way of life. And we can only guess, but certainly community advocates believe that that type of fear fed into this policy. Meg Durand works for Amnesty International, a human rights watchdog. I think in New Zealand we like to think that we give people a fair go, and yet this policy is definitely discriminating against people from the Middle East and from Africa. And what it meant was that the number of refugees we were bringing in from Africa and the Middle East plummeted. We weren't able to meet our own targets. And in fact, in the 2017-2018 year, which is the last year we have statistics for, 
only 1.2% of our refugees came from the Middle East and 5.3% from Africa. And what are the targets? What were we trying for? 14% from the Middle East and 14% from Africa. So we brought in a rule that prevented us from meeting our own refugee targets. We brought in a rule that was inconsistent with the UNHCR convention that we had signed up for. And no one really took notice of this. Those targets are set by the government at the time in three-year cycles. They take advice from Immigration New Zealand, who we'll hear from soon. We don't know why the national government chose to bring in the policy, but we do know that officials working for immigration services were concerned right from the start. For years, government officials have been worried. Documents show they urged nationals ministers to drop the policy, warning it was seen as unfair and discriminatory and was proving overly restrictive. If our own government is saying that we don't want people from that place, what message is that sending to African migrants that are already in New Zealand? That you're an other? What was the reaction from the government when you, when you asked them about this? So we because it was an inherited policy, it wasn't, wasn't their idea. It wasn't their idea, but they had been in government for two years. They knew about it. They'd heard the concerns from the refugee sector and they had the opportunity to change it. I mean, the reality is Labour, New Zealand First and the Greens could have sat around the Cabinet table on day one or any other day and with the stroke of a pen changed this rule and they'd chosen not to. And part of the reason that that hadn't happened, we believe, is because of resistance from New Zealand First. And the reason we know that is that both Winston Peters and other members of his party and including Shane Jones, have said as recently as last month that they backed this policy. It is uniquely, uniquely isolating refugees who have been through a vetting process simply on, on the basis of where they're from. Surely that's the very definition of racism. Well, it may be your definition. It's not mine. So do you support continuing? And you're the first person who's ever said, even none of these refugee countries have said that New Zealand is racist. That's why they're queuing up to come here, because we're not. Shane Jones came out and said that, you know, we're a doubting party as to how many refugees we should bring from parts of the world that have been associated with violence. So certainly New Zealand First appears to have been a roadblock in this process. And it's pretty extraordinary, actually, that this has changed. I mean, I was surprised on Friday when we found out that the rule was being scrapped because we knew that there was disagreement around the Cabinet table. That change was announced at the end of last week by the Immigration Minister, Ian Lees-Galloway. Today I can announce that we are removing the family link requirement that was put in place by the national government and created for people from Africa and Middle East regions. That will mean that more refugees with priority resettlement needs from those two regions will be able to settle here in New Zealand. What do you think changed it for the government? I think the change was that with the Christchurch terror attacks, the government had made a pretty strong statements and claims about who we are as a country and how we treat vulnerable people coming from parts of the world where they've experienced violence and other challenges. And this just didn't fit with that. And once the train left the station in terms of media coverage and a number of 
media organisations, including Stuff and Radio New Zealand, picked up with this. It began to get international coverage. That posed a problem in terms of our international image, and I think they had no choice but to change it. But it shouldn't have taken four months of media coverage for this to change. What do you think it says that we still don't know what these broad security concerns are? What's the takeaway from the the secrecy behind the rationale? Mm. I think it means that... There is still a sentiment in a large part of this country, which perhaps was just being reflected by politicians at the time, that brown people, and in particular people of the Islamic faith, pose a greater threat to our way of life and our security than people coming from other parts of the world. And if you travel around New Zealand and you speak to people, as I get to do in this job, you realise that those sentiments are incredibly widespread, The Christchurch terror attack, in my view, may have softened some people's opinions and opened their eyes a little bit, but it hasn't changed a whole lot. And I think we've been pretty quick to actually move on from that and go back to a lot of our long-held prejudices around this stuff. And I think the politicians probably just read the tea leaves and thought, you know what, we don't need to change this policy because our voter base would support it in a lot of parts of the country. What would you say to the argument some people would make that, look, we have people employed to to weigh up these concerns. They came back with this information can't be released because it's bad for national security or whatever, but we have enough information here to prove there is broad, broad security concerns against letting in refugees from these countries. I think there's a complete lack of transparency around that. If those security concerns were genuinely there, then it would be up to the government of the day, which was national, or the government that's inherited that policy, to tell us what they are. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they need to go into detail that would perhaps affect the security of the country, but it's such a significant policy that those reasons could have and should have come out by now, and they haven't. And the fact that they haven't suggests to me that there was no strong justification for the policy in the first place. Do you think this would have changed if it wasn't for the media picking up on it? Absolutely not. I think it was just something that was so far down the priority list that if it wasn't for, first of all, the Christchurch terror attack and then the media coverage that began in May with the Sunday story, it wouldn't have changed. And actually, perhaps what sped that process up was the appointment of Ming Foon as the Race Relations Commissioner. He came out about a month ago and said, this is racist. Yeah, that's discriminatory. Absolutely. Um, I I understand that it used to be two or three um, out of ten that actually came from Africa and Middle East. Um, Now it's one in 20. So why is that? So I understand that the government's actually looking at changing the rules. And the government should change it, in your opinion? Oh, absolutely. And I think it became impossible for the government from that point on to have a policy that your new race relations commissioner was slamming as being completely inconsistent with values around human rights. Andrew Lockhart is the National Manager for Refugee and Migrant Services at Immigration New Zealand. Government make a decision every three years on the composition of the quota. So that's uh, the announcement made last week, which takes us from... um, July 2019 through to June uh, 2022. In this three-year programme, 50% of the quota refugees we bring will be from the Asia-Pacific region. 20% will be from the Americas, predominantly um, Colombians uh, from Ecuador. 
15% will be from the Middle East, and that's predominantly the Syrians, but there are other groups within uh, that region as well, like Iraqis and uh, Palestinians, and then 15% from the Africa region. Does your organisation have much say into those numbers? Uh, that we give advice to government. That's, that's, so, so there's two parts to it. One is the UNHCR provide a piece on the priorities situation worldwide, which is becomes part of the um, submission to government and then the department itself provides, uh, that policy people provide advice on that as well. But it's very much guided by what ministers takes to the cabinet. Do the recommendations you make to the government, do they tend to give you what you want or do you sometimes still fall a little bit short? Is there a bit of a difference between what you suggest and uh, what the government well, I think the easiest way to say it is that they'll make their decision based on the advice, but it doesn't necessarily follow the advice. So, yeah. Right, but it varies a bit, I guess. In terms of the priority, obviously there are a lot of refugees around the world in all sorts of horrible situations, but the numbers we take in New Zealand are quite small. How do you figure out who gets in? So the first bit is, is we've just talked about, around the um, three-year programme itself set by, by government. Then the next part of that is an engagement with UNHCR itself around the priority groups that they want to refer to for resettlement and how what, what numbers will be referred to, to New Zealand from those different regions and those different groups. Because we are part of 28, I think it is, or 29 countries that do resettlement. Uh, and then we will we'll work with UNHCR about what cases fit with what the government priorities are and what um, priority for, for resettlement they have for them. Is there a bit of luck involved for some of these families? Uh, no, I, th- I think the UNHCR are fairly um, clear about um, prioritising cases for, for resettlement. I mean, those places are very small in number when you when you compare it to the number of overall refugees. So they will prioritise um, cases um, based on settlement need and protection needs, and then they'll refer them to countries um, based on what they're seeking. Uh, so somebody might fit better with New Zealand's um, uh, criteria or someone else might fit well with Australia's or Canada's or any of the other programs. Are most of the refugees that apply with UNHCR to come to New Zealand or or to be resettled anywhere, I guess, are most of them living in camps? No, I think, I I mean, in some parts of the world that's true, but, but increasingly most refugees are urban refugees, so they are living in the community where, where they are and then they have to be able to um, either be supported in that community or be able to find a, a way of being able to live in those places. So by and large, the Syrians in Lebanon are urban refugees and most refugees in Asia-Pacific are in the same category. All of those referrals are sent to us by the UNHCR and there is an assessment made of whether they meet the criteria for settlement in New Zealand um, in terms of character and security and what links that they might have to New Zealand and, of course, whether they fit the, the programme itself. Once that's established, then the mission will go to the place where they are and undertake a full interview. There are, in fact, two interviews while, while, while they're on mission. The first interview is in relation to whether they meet our requirements for um, resettlement in New Zealand. So, again, character, health, uh, credibility check around the claim itself and um, 
any links that they might have to New Zealand um, and any particular health issues. Then the second interview is about settlement, so it's quite a separate interview, and it's about gathering their history around what they've been doing um, during their lives, because often they'll have been in employment or they'll have um, particular needs that, that have arisen, and then getting an understanding of what support that they might need when they get to New Zealand. At the same time in the mission, they'll take the biometrics, so the photos, the fingerprints, and um, that, that's all then transferred back to New Zealand at the end of the mission. It sounds like a fairly rigorous test. There's quite a few stages, several interviews. Is it fair to say that these refugees are very well screened? Yes, I, th- I think so. I think I think um, with the with the security checks, the character checks, the health checks, um, the interview, and then the, the kind of the biometrics, which is you know shared with the, with our five country partners, um, they go through a very rigorous um, process. So, given that. Would you think it would be fairly unlikely for somebody who is who poses a security threat to New Zealand to to make it in? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think it's unlikely, but it's not impossible. I think um, you know, I think we've got all of the the checks um, that we can do. We we're constantly reviewing those, and and people do slip through the system, um, but. But by and large, that, that those checks are made to make sure that the system is rigorous and that those that come to New Zealand are in need of protection and meet our requirements. After two weeks of confusion over the government's refugee policy, Labour and New Zealand First have settled their squabbles and announced the refugee quota will be lifted to 1,500 before the next election. Meanwhile, the quota's jumping next year, so it's, it's 5, yep. 1,500 from... 1,500. 1,500. Are you ready? We're, we're getting ready. We've got. Uh, I think there's a there's a uh, program of work going on, which which is across um, government. Um, within that program of work, there's around um, nine different streams of work. Um, some of those are nearing completion. Some of those are well, un, still well underway. Um, but yes, I think um, the program is showing that uh, we will we'll get there. Could could you do more? Sorry. Do you think you could do more than fifteen hundred? <laughs> well, I mean, we'd have to go back through and, and, and the planning and look at what the um, impacts of that is. I mean, I think um, the fifteen hundred is has been um, quite a bit of work because it's it's fifty um, percent more than we've been taking previously. And while it might not look a large number, it actually requires quite a lot of changes across um, the system itself, really. I think a lot of New Zealanders still have a view that refugees are putting a strain on our resources, that New Zealanders are struggling to get into houses. These are the Facebook comments that I get and emails that I get every time I do a story like this from people saying, you're barking up the wrong tree and this is ridiculous. We don't want refugees. But I think New Zealanders who have... To to me, this is an issue about fairness, right? New Zealanders do value fairness and we value people being given a fair go. And that's the way that we tried to set the story up at the start, was that it wasn't a story about policy, it wasn't a story about politics, it was a story about fairness. And we weren't treating people equally. And that's a problem, I think, for a lot of Kiwis. We don't have the authority or the right, in my view, and certainly not according to the conventions that we've signed up to, to just pick and choose refugees from which parts of the world we want based on 
no real justification around security concerns. And that's what this policy did. It allowed um, fear to dictate how we approached a key area of policy, and that was wrong. When we did the story, I was surprised that everybody ran away from it. Ian Lees Galloway, the immigration minister, literally ran away from me at Parliament. Yeah, I saw you chasing him into Te Papa. At Te Papa, that's right. Excuse me, Minister. Minister Jahan from the Sunday programme. Can you talk to us about your refugee policy and the restrictions on Africans and Middle Easterners coming here? So, um, there's a policy that we inherited from the previous government. Uh, the government is currently considering the next year, the next three-year uh, apportionment of uh, refugees from around the world. It's currently before caucus. Do you agree that it's? Do you agree that it's a racist policy? It's a matter before cabinet. Do you agree that it's racist? Yeah, do you think they were working on this in the background anyway, or did they start when the calls started coming in? I think that... So uh, there was a three-year review of our refugee policy coming up, but the reality is they didn't have to wait for that review. That was the excuse they gave. They said, well, we've got this review coming up, we'll deal with it then. But they could have got rid of this policy two years ago when they came into government. It's not a big deal. It's not a change to the number of refugees coming into the country, and it's not even a change to our own targets. It's the fact that we were shooting ourselves in the foot by not allowing our, our own officials to meet the targets that we'd set for ourselves. So I think this was purely political. And at the end of the day, it took a bit of politics to get rid of the policy. That's the detail for today. I'm Alex Ashton. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz, made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Rangi Powak and produced by Alexia Russell. Our associate producer is Keitaki Masalamani. Kakite Anon.